join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being here. And now we begin. I imagine for some of you that the story that brought you here this morning, the thing that made you the person that could be here this morning wasn't a straight shot. It was probably a circuitous route. You probably had bumps along the way. You probably had moments in your life where you thought to yourself, I don't even know what I'm doing or why. Anything is going the way it's going. It's probably frustrations and joys, all sorts of things that made you become the person that is here this morning. I'm assuming. I don't think you're just born and like, okay, on February 12, 2023, I'm going straight to first con or UCC Longmont for this service. You went through a lot. Can we acknowledge that? You've been through a lot? All of us? Right? We've all been through a lot. And that's a part of the human experience. We all have stories. We all have things that make us who we are. And when we interact with other people, it both adds to who we are and it changes who we are. And that's what it's like to be in relationships. That's what it's like to be human. It's a story that's ever growing and ever expanding. And at its ideal is completely invitational and scary. Because sometimes the stories that other people have interact with the stories that we have and it makes us question our own stories. And so sometimes we're so attached to the story that we tell ourselves about how we got from point A to point B or where we're going that we have a hard time hearing other stories. But I want to invite you to be open to this grander story, which I know you are because you're here this morning. This story that's full of deep relating, and it's the story of being the children of God, which we all are. So I'm inviting you and hoping that your hearts are hearing me as we continue to engage on this story. So I'll be honest, when um, Amelia first asked me about preaching, I thought I was going to say no because I pretty much haven't preached in a year. But then she said it was February, and I thought, oh, that was Black History Month. I think I'll say yes. And so that's why I'm here this morning. I decided to say yes because it's Black History Month. So that's the only reason I'm preaching. I've said no to a lot of uh, invitations to preach, but I felt like uh, this month I would say yes. And so I did. And I'm not going to tell you a history lesson. I'm not going to tell you stories from black history because you have Google. You can look it all up. And we live in a time where there's more books and movies and shows and all sorts of things that connect you to the black experience in America. We have videos, we have news, we have all of these things. So the, the door is open to find out this information. There's even a documentary about Boulder and Boulder County and how 
it uh, has the demographics that it does have uh, called This Is Not Who We Are, and it's playing all around uh, the state and actually around the world. So if you even want to know down to the detail of how Boulder uh, developed in the relationship with black people in Boulder, you have access to that. My friend Katrina Don Miller and Barrett Strong, they're directors of the film, easy enough to find. So you don't need a history lesson. So what I'm gonna share with you today is not so much about that, but about what these readings and these other things can't teach you, and that's about the relationship piece. It's about being open to other stories. But it's not just about the other person and doing the person a favor of listening to their story, because it is a beautiful thing to hear someone else's story. I'm actually in the documentary, and one of the things that I said um, in it was that if you wanna love me, you have to be able to hear my story. But if I want to love you, I also have to be able to hear your story. And our stories don't cancel each other out. For some reason, we tend to think that way. We tend to have trouble with stories that we have a challenge with because of what it tells us about our story instead of just being with other people and hearing their stories and then allowing our stories to be heard. That's the relationship piece. We live in a society and a culture that is deeply transactional. And so a lot of times we calculate, we don't mean to, but we practice it every day at work and so many things we're going grocery shopping and we're counting coupons or whatever it is we do. It's so transactional that we automatically start doing it. And then we miss out on the relational. And so when we hear something, we take it as if we're being sold a product instead of being offered an engagement. And so these teachings that we have been, that brought us here today, they're about engagement, they're about relationship, they're about loving our neighbor, even our enemy, and God as ourselves, meaning that all of our stories are connected. And if we understand the interconnectedness of all our stories, it's just not about our relationship, you to another person or you to God, but it's also the relationship between you and you. Because when we engage in these other stories, when we hear these other stories, we actually receive more of ourselves if we're willing to face the parts that we've been hiding from. And so in American context, it's impossible to escape the story of race in America. It's just, you can't. We can try to avoid it, but when we do, we miss out on a relationship, not just with other people that are different with us than us, but also on a relationship to you to you. And so as we continue to move through this time this morning, I want to um, invite you to just continue to think about the deeper story of which you are a part. So um, the other day I was playing this game with some friends, and one of the questions in the game was, do you know why you're here? And the way the game works, you have to relate it to, there's some cubes you roll, and mine landed on shame and then the question, do you know why you're here? So I had to try to connect shame to my reason for being, which is kind of a challenge, you know? Um, but when I was doing it, I was reminded of a dream I had when I left my hometown uh, for the second time. I left when I first graduated high school, went into the military, was gone for 10 years, came back and thought I was gonna make a difference, and then I kind of got defeated, and so I was running away again. And uh, in the process of running away, the night before I left, I had this dream. And in the dream, I was walking down the street, this street in Portsmouth, Virginia, it's called High Street. 
cuts all the way across the town. And I was walking down the street with every black guy that I ever knew. And we're all just walking down the street. We weren't doing anything, just walking down the street. And then the police showed up and they said, all of you are under arrest. And we started to protest like, well, what do we do? We're just hanging out, we're not doing anything. What's the deal, why is this happening? And they said, someone stole a radio. And they're like, okay. And they were like, we're pretty sure somebody black. We don't know who it is, so we're taking all of you to jail. You know? And we were like, no, 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 but we didn't know what else to do. We all went to the prison. And they started filling out forms. And they're like, okay, life sentence. There was no, you know, you're going to court, anything like that. Just like, you got a life sentence, you got a life sentence, you got a life sentence. And it was just going through it. And it got down to my best friend from when I was in elementary school, Kevin Bright, and myself. And they said, oh, we only have one form left. So one of you is lucky. You're going to get the leave. And so they said it was me that I was going to get the leave. And I was pro I said, no, no, they didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. No, this isn't fair. And they were, I just kept trying to complain. They said, you need to just shut up and leave. You're lucky enough. You're getting out of here. Just take this form. Just, take, just get out of here. And my friend said, Pedro, Pedro, you know what? Just go. Just go and tell them we're innocent. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. And it mirrored my reality. I left. I didn't know what to do. But I had in my heart, tell them we're innocent. And when that came up, when I was playing that game, I was like, I think that's why I'm here, to tell people we're innocent. And that doesn't mean that people haven't done wrong in the world or anything like that, but that there's an innocence that comes from being a child of God that is a part of all of us. But we've lost that. And when we lose the awareness of that innocence, both within ourselves and with other people, all we do is keep spreading this virus of toxic shame. And the only way we can heal through it is to face it. To allow this question of why are you here and the story of shame to coexist in the same space and allow the shadows that inform a lot of who we are to dissipate in the light of our true being. So I'm about to share a song with you all. I wrote in relationship with people who are innocent, some kids when I was working in confirmation. Um, they challenged me to write a song, a rap. Um, I'm gonna take this off if it's okay. You seem like you guys are pretty relaxed here. Um, they challenged me because I visited a couple of churches that were black churches and I rapped at those churches, but I didn't rap at First Con, which is, has a similar demographic and makeup as you guys. And they said, Pedro, how come you rap at a black church, you won't rap at our church? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know, maybe. And they said, you tell us to shine our light, you should shine yours too. And I said, you're right. And so I did. And um, I'm going to share that song with you all right now. When you shine your light, it isn't just for you. It's for everybody else that's been watching what you do. Take this life, make it right. Take this life, make it light to see. You ever had those thoughts that wouldn't go away? They're running through your mind like every single day. 
Wake up in the morning, get on your knees and pray. Don't believe it works, but you do it anyway. That's what it's like when you're feeling hopeless. Looking at your life and you got no focus. You say it gets better, swear to God you notice. Know but you're caught up in the mix, don't know where the flow is. This is the way of the American dream. We think we see clearly, but it isn't what it seems. Addicted to consumption, so we live in like we fiends. Only find meaning when we get a bunch of things. I know y'all are clappers, so you can if you want to. Here's a little something I'm getting off my chest. It's been a long time since last I confessed. I denied you, thinking I'd get the rest. But life without you is a life, it's a mess. The best of me is messing with the rest of me. It's testing me, at least until I get to see. I'm blessed to be living with you next to me. Cause life within you is but ecstasy You see, they say you know the way I'm inclined to believe it But never in my life have I seen one to achieve it You told us how to do it, I'll be shocked if we gon' heat it Then we're looking all surprised by the fact that we defeated, so When you shine your light, it isn't just for you. It's for everybody else that's been watching what you do. You can talk that talk, but the walk shows what is true. Are you a hypocrite or the proud and the few? That's the kind of question I ask myself daily, trying to get back to my roots as if my name was Alex Haley. You don't like my style, but never will you play me because I'm going to shine my light till the day that they take me. You say I know the way because if you do, I'm supposed to. I'm glad you chose me even when I hadn't chose you. The world is out of order and everybody knows it. How's the nation under you when all you are, it opposes. If they're going to be that Pharaoh, then I'm going to be that Moses. They don't want to see us shine because when we do, it exposes. So I'm going to keep speaking till everybody knows this. It's when we turn the truth that we see where the flow is. This is all of our reality. When you shine your light, it isn't just for you. It is for everybody else that's watching what you do. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. According to these teachings, Jesus didn't say you will be salt and light, light if you work hard enough. He didn't offer these words as a similitude, like to be the child of God is like being salt and light. He emphatically said you are. You are. 
The second pronoun form of these two most powerful words, in the second person pronoun form of the two most powerful words in the Bible, which are I am. I am is the name of God. You are is the name of God's children, and you are the light of the world. This is your identity. So be who you are and don't hide your light. Don't put it under a basket. Don't hide it. Don't let it be covered in a shadow of shame. Like Christ himself, we are here to do what lights do, and that is to shine and to reveal. Like the right amount of salt brings out the deliciousness of whatever it flavors, your light can bring out the beauty that exists in the world. But often what happens is we're taught to cover that light up. We come into this world and people tell us that you're not just the child of God. You're not just this illumined being that is here to shine on the world. They give us this cloak of shadows. And we put on this cloak of shadows that's been given to us. And then what we do is we cast out shadows and we project the shadow onto other people. And when we see that shadow and we don't like it, we don't realize that we're the ones that are projecting it out. Does that make sense? And so it's only until you face that shadow, which in this context, in this country, has a lot to do with the history of black people and white people in America, and we're bringing everybody else into our tragedy that we don't know how to work on. But if we do work on it, what kind of hope could we bring for the world? So now I'm gonna, this uh, sermon's kind of broke up in three parts, like my story, your story, our story. So this is your story. This is a poem I wrote uh, yesterday morning, actually. It's called A Cloak of Shadows. I invite you to take it into your heart. We all entered this given world shining ever so brightly until we were handed a cloak of shadows and were taught to take our shining lightly. The shadow cloaks that we're given are all different but the same, put on by people who we were born to trust but started lying with our name. They called us a moniker we didn't choose that made them feel a certain way. Perhaps a projection of someone's past that we're expected to display. Rather than get to know us and discover who we are, they tell us who we're supposed to be and complain if we stray far. But it's not that I'm trying to blame them. They did what they knew to do. Because before they projected onto us, they were cloaked in shadows too. They too were forced into a box, aimed to maintain society. They believed the lies that they were told before they ever lied to me. Some were told the lie that they were the best when compared to other people, while some were told that they are worse and must forever work at achieving equal. But both these states are lies. There's no one above or below another. And the truth is there's no shadows here that another's light cannot uncover. You see, all of us were meant to shine so that this world won't be in dark. And each of us has work to do of dissolving shadows with our spark. In so doing, we don't just free ourselves, we free all who came before until the world is filled with shining lights who wear shadow cloaks no more. In a compilation of his works, the painter of modern life and other essays, uh, noted French poet, essayist, and lyrical provocateur, Charles Baudelaire, offered this perspective. He said, genius is no more than childhood recaptured at will. Childhood equipped now with an adult's physical means to express itself 
and with the analytical mind that enables it to bring order into the sum of experience involuntarily amassed. And I'll say this uh, one more time, and then I'll translate it if necessary. But basically he said, genius is no more than childhood recaptured at will. Childhood equipped now with an adult's physical means to express itself and with the analytical mind that enables it to bring order into the sum experience, sum of experience involuntarily amassed. Now to put it in simpler terms, if childhood is uncontrolled genius, then what Baudelaire is suggesting is that genius is controlled childhood. Now, I know I have kids, so sometimes trying to control childhood doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's a, a futile attempt. Um, and it might sound like an oxymoron, but we know that if Jesus went so far as to say that unless we can become like a child, we can by no means enter the kingdom of God, there must be something to the idea that uh, Baudelaire puts forth. So what's our story together? I think it's expressed very well in the Beatitudes. In it, we see a roadmap to deeper relating. By blessing those the world tries to revile and declaring to everyone that uh, who the world tries to call the least, Christ is calling worthy of all spiritual treasures to which we claim to be aspiring. Jesus is showing that the kingdom of God is an equitable one. And if we ever hope to live into the prayer we so often pray, where we ask for God's will to be done and God's kingdom or kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, then the earth has to reflect equity. It has to be the calling of us who bear the light to bring about a world of equity. In a world where there are still George Floyds and Tyree Nicholses, uh, we see that we still have a lot of work to do. And this is work that cannot be done in the dark. It has to be done in the light and by the light. So be the light everywhere you're called into this world and fill it with your shining and wear shadow cloaks no more. Thanks be to God. Now, I know I talked to Amelia a little bit about having an openness of y'all, of us being able to interact a little more if we had some moments. Do we have a few? Okay. I'm going to invite you to be daring, be bold, and it can be a question, it can be whatever, but let's relate. I know I'm probably the only black person y'all going to see all week, so you might as well just take advantage of it. <laughs> I'm just joking. But let's, let's just, let's just like take a moment to practice relating because we can read and read and read and watch movies and study books and do all of these things. We can make ourselves feel bad all we want to, but it's not going to bring good in the world. No one here can feel bad enough to bring good into the world. So what can we do? How can we relate? Be daring, be bold, or I'm going to call somebody out. Okay. Pedro Silva. Oh, it does sound like a Brazilian name. My dad's Cape Verdean. Okay. So that's where my name comes from, which I think I'm going to jump off of that and say, oh, my daughter has her hand up. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to jump off of that, actually. Thanks for the question. And then I'm going to tell you all something that I've observed. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've seen people see me, see my blackness, and brace. You know, they'll just like brace up. And then I'll say, hey, um, yeah, my name is Pedro Silva. And as soon as they hear me say Pedro, they lighten up because some of their projections of what it means to be a black person in America dissolves. 
and they get curious. And once they get curious about my name, they start getting curious about who I am and where I came from. But that same curiosity can be expressed everywhere in the world. I grew up watching that all the time. And my brother, his name is Antonio Pascual Silva. My name is Pedro Sejorinha Jamos Montero Silva. That's my name. But because he could be called Tony, people treated us completely different. Because my first name, it was, you couldn't really, you just like Pedro, and then it just like went where it went. Tony was something else. People treated us different because of that. And that's unfortunate because it's an effect of this language we call it white supremacy, you know? But this language of making people feel like their proximity to European makes them higher or lower on some strata. It even happens for me who I'm blackity black, I'm black. But if because my name is Pedro, I get some thing that's afforded to me by society that is diluted by an illusion of people's worth. So I don't know if you thought I was gonna say all that when I said my, you asked me about my name, but I'm just gonna share it and tell you. And that's something we have to witness in ourselves or we can't clean it up, we can't, we can't shine our lights. So I don't know, you, you let me know when I should stop. <laughs> all right, do you really have a question, Micaiah? Okay, my daughter raised her hand, but then she put it down. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions, thoughts? Yes? Because I'm not sure who said that it might have been Martin Luther King Jr., but that the 11 o'clock on Sunday mm. is the most segregated hour of, of the week. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's absolutely true. But it's. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll repeat that. She's, um, they lifted up that Martin Luther King said that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, or 10.15 in this case, is the most segregated hour in our country um, because people come to church and their churches kind of mirror, you know, the church is maybe mostly white and mostly black and all these other things. And I would say, yeah, that's, that's still a fact. That's still the case, you know. Um, I think that it just reflects uh, a lot of different things about how we relate and our um, association with being comfortable because a lot of us want to feel comfort. And I know that sometimes in worship they say that uh, the job of the preacher is to uh, afflict the, what is it? Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. There's actually, that's, that's the statement that they say. But it's actually uh, the person who really wrote that was, uh, I can't remember his name now, but it was a reporter who said that the job of a reporter is to afflict the comfortable and uh, comfort the afflicted. And he was saying it as a joke, facetiously. Um, but so happens that that's the case, that a lot of us want to feel comfortable. And so, I mean, I'll use myself again as an example. I grew up in, uh, like, all-black churches, uh, evangelical and things like that, a lot of speaking in tongues, which I don't anticipate we're going to see today. Um, different things, right? And I was very attached to that worship experience. So even when I started having a different um, kind of disposition of where I felt called, how to, how to share the ministry that was in me that didn't reflect um, what was happening in the church, church I was in at the time, I, uh, I was attached to the worship style. And so I, it took me a, a little bit of time to be able to move out of that worship style and let go of the attachment of that worship style. And um, really in my spiritual life, I prayed and I asked God about it um, because it was hard. And it basically said to me, oh, you're making an idol out of a worship service. You're making an idol out of a worship service. You, you want a worship service to be a certain way because it, you're used to it. 
and you're worshiping worship services instead of worshiping God. And so I said, oh, shoot. Well, I don't want to do that. Um, and so then I decided to let it go and to see where God called me to be and just show up. Um, and then God tricked me. And then I ended up saying like, well, okay, well, there you go. And I got some more work to do. So yes, it's true. I think it is based in comfort and it's based in, uh, you know, wanting to feel, uh, most of us want to be good people. I, I think most humans, even people that don't show it, want to be good people. And we feel good when we're comfortable. And so we look for spaces. Um, but I think that we're increasingly called to be better people. And to be better, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Just like you can go to the gym. And if you want to get stronger, you got to work out. You got to be uncomfortable. Can't just go to the gym and say, I want to be buff. I know because I try. <laughs> I do it all the time. I'm like, I want to be buff. Take it. I got to go to the gym. So there it is. So yes. How do I stay curious or how do, how do I recommend other people to do it? Okay. First of all, I like correcting my mistakes. And I said I was going to be the only black person y'all saw. And uh, I was actually wrong because there's more than one black person here. There you go. I admit that. And uh, sometimes being, it's being curious is being open to learning all the time. Being willing to allow mistakes to be a part of the process. In our context of America, we are so ashamed of making mistakes. It's really ridiculous. It makes no sense that we're this way. Um, I think it's a condition. I don't throw the word white supremacy out there lightly because it's a confusing term. It like really is. Um, but there's a system that says you cannot make mistakes. It's based in our manufacturing uh, processes in our society where you're supposed to minimize variation and so when people when you go to work you're actually practicing a behavior and so at work for generations especially in the manufacturing space people practice a behavior minimize variation minimize variation minimize minimize variation maximize productivity maximize um, just output and so that's how we've been structured and so now, when we end up doing things in our day-to-day -day life, we think we can't make mistakes. And, and then we, if we can't make mistakes, we can't learn. Most mistakes come through the process of learning. And so when you're being uncomfortable, being, being able to witness yourself making mistakes and being curious enough about those mistakes to know that it's actually increasing your capacity for learning is a way to do it. It's just like, I mean, you lucky you work out sometimes. I don't know if you do, but I'm assuming you look like you work out. Yeah, see? Okay, so I imagine when you're working out, when you feel that little bit of pain, you actually feel a little bit of pride. A little bit. Like, uh, that good kind of pride. Like, yeah, it hurts. I was working out. That's, that's kind of how it is. You know, when you're going through this discomfort, you're also learning. You're also getting better. But if you don't want, if you want to avoid that, you're not going to experience it. And so that's like what I do when I'm, when I'm like learning and making mistakes and I collect mistakes like they're prizes. I'm like, yes, I was wrong, you know, but that's not how our system is set up. Um, but we aren't called to fit into the system. None of us are, fit, are called to conform and to fit into the system. There's a reason for systems, but, but the, like Jesus said about the Sabbath, he said Sabbath was created for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. 
Systems were created for us, not us for the systems. So if the system stopped serving us, we had to transform those systems so that they serve more people and serve us all better. And that's something that can only happen by admitting that we're making mistakes and admitting that we need learning. We got things that, we, there's things that we don't know. Two terms I've been sharing with people a lot lately is intellectual humility and cultural humility. And that's being able to say like, I don't know about this culture and I don't understand what you're telling me so that I can learn. So that's, uh, thanks for that question um, about how do you maintain curiosity when you're uncomfortable. And um, I'll say like one more maybe. One more. And if there's no more, then no more. I know somebody. Is anybody here who has a question? I was okay. There you go. Thanks. Okay, so uh, she lifted up that um, with all, George Floyd, she saw how bad things are. There's a lot of learning and things that are happening, but what can we do on a practical level? Um, one of the things I say is uh, talk, like talking is not doing nothing. I use a double negative on purpose because sometimes people feel like talking is like, yeah, we're just talking. But if you're talking and it's making you uncomfortable, then it's doing something. So there's a lot of things out there. The work I do now, I work for an organization called Unify, and it's spelled Y-O-U-N-I-F-Y. Um, the reason why I spell that way, one, is that you are identifying yourself, your gifts, your, your place in the world, and then how you fit into unifying what's this world that is inherently unified, but bringing that into your awareness. And we do that in a lot of ways. Um, some of them are convening conversations across differences. Um, and seeking opportunities to do that, to talk to people that are different from you. And if you feel yourself being scared and also, do it. Like, there's a book I read a long time ago, it's called Feel, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. That's, I think, the number one uh, bit of advice is to feel the fear and do it anyway. To be able to say, like, if you see yourself being scared, don't run in the other direction because then you're being led by fear instead of being led by love. And the teachings of the scriptures that we practice says that um, there is no fear in love, that perfect love casts out fear. And so seek perfect love in all that you do so that it can cast that fear out because that perfect love is the light of who we are. But we have to be able to go toward that. And it, it's different for different people. Like some people, they may be called to go out and they may be, you know, march or protest. Some people may be called to donate resources to things that they believe are bringing the good about in the world that they want to see done. Some people are just going to be having conversations with somebody in your family, which is probably the biggest contribution. Uh, the biggest contribution is talking to people in your family that you're scared to talk to because you want to keep the peace. Because Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He's like, blessed are the peacemakers. And you can't make peace in a world that is rife with dissension. You can't just, be, and, and say, I'm gonna just keep the peace. It's, there is actually not peace. You know, there's the illusion of peace. Real peace comes when we engage and we open ourselves up and we create it. We create it by creating systems and processes and things that invite in more, 
that help people to relate, that own up to people's mistakes. I told my kids plenty of times, whether they listen to me or not, you know, we make mistakes and it's okay because we get better every day. Very simple. We make mistakes, but it's okay because we get better every day. So I would invite you, make mistakes, learn from them, keep going, and uh, trust that you have tools and people and resources to be able to live into the person that God already created, created you as in the first place. So blessings, and thanks for engaging. Uh, number 181 from New Century Hymnal.